Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM a translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Luke Show and it is Monday and it is all the good stuff that we could blah, 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 blah. Monday and we're ready to go. We're, we're rocking and rolling and we've got uh, a good show lined up for you today. We are uh, going to be doing... Uh, a little bit of, I don't know, what are we calling it? Montalbano Mondays? Uh, we Maybe we should for a little bit here. Uh, Sarah Montalbano from the uh, Alaska Policy Forum is going to be joining us today to talk about National School Choice Week uh, in our continuing look at education and education funding here in the state of Alaska. Since that appears that that is going to be the big number one topic and priority for many legislators out there, this is uh, this is where we're at, and this is what uh, this is what we're talking about. So uh, we're going to be joined by Sarah in hour two this morning, and we're going to go through oh all the stuff that's uh, coming out about school choice. The Heritage Foundation has their continuing education report card uh, that Sarah is going to be looking through and analyzing, uh, especially when it comes to Alaska and the ideas of. Uh, how we fare in the whole debate about school choice, which sneak peek uh, is okay. Uh, it's just okay in many reasons, but overall, uh, I guess I'll just I'll give you the I'll just give you the whole thing. Forty fifth overall uh, is the ranking for Alaska. Forty eighth in educational choice options. Uh, we're only ahead of North Dakota, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. Um, so that is a um, not great. Let's just put it there. Not great. Uh, but we'll get some deets from Sarah Montalbano about that. And uh, we'll see what she has to say uh, coming up in hour two this morning for discussion. Meanwhile, in hour one today, um, I've got some headlines and some talking points, some announcements and some discussions. We may also, I mean, I've got the phone lines locked and loaded. Uh, I guess they are open and ready. I guess they're open and ready to go. So uh, we will take some phone calls as well and see what you guys have to say this morning uh, as we go through. We can uh, we can work on that and uh Get your take on everything that's happening. And boy, is there a lot going on. Uh, first and foremost, where do I start? I guess I could start kind of uh, in the uh, in the Anchorage area simply because it is the um, it is the one thing that just keeps sucking up all the uh, all the the spotlight and the and the ink 
in Anchorage. Not the only thing, but there's a lot. Uh, and uh, it continues on with the uh, the whole uh, crisis in the mayor's office where uh, last week, uh, of course, we talked about Amy Dabosky leaving and then uh, filing a lawsuit against the mayor's office for um, for basically for a hostile work environment, for unlawful termination and everything else. And coming out of that, uh, there was also a report from the ombudsman's office uh, in the city of Anchorage, and that has led to a uh, potential investigation, uh, I guess criminal investigation, by uh, the state department of uh the state department of law um and i gotta say this is uh this is kind of crazy uh the anchorage municipal ombudsman daryl hess spoke out on friday ktuu picked up the story one day after issuing a memo that a municipal executive quote unquote said mayor dave bronson's office was viewing security surveillance footage of the ombudsman's office to see which employees visited the offices and spoke with members of the Anchorage Assembly in a either way to either retaliate apparently against whistleblowers or to just have a chilling effect on it. And there's just no real way to say it. Later in the day, uh, the Anchorage uh, mayor's office issued a statement that his deputy chief of staff, Bryce Wilbanks, is no longer working with the city. They wouldn't confirm whether Wilbanks was the source of the allegations or not. On Wednesday, KTUU submitted a public records request for message sent from Mayor Bronson's deputy chief of staff, Wilbanks, to former municipal manager Amy Dimboski, and, uh, uh, excuse me, the day before former uh, manager Amy Dimboski was fired, and respectfully uh, requested specifically ask for all emails, memos, and text messages that can't contain the word surveillance video and ombudsman. The uh, KTUU did not receive a reply from that. And uh, <clears throat> so there's all these allegations of potential uh, intimidation and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just, I just don't even know what to think. Uh, the mayor's spokesman said that Mr. Wilbanks is no longer employed. Mayor Bronson takes these allegations very seriously and does not condone what has been alleged, which is why in order to avoid any potential conflict, it's been referred to the Alaska Department of Law. The Anchorage District Attorney uh, Brittany Dunlop has confirmed that the DA's office received the ombudsman's referral the case is now being reviewed by the Office of Special Prosecution within their criminal division which handles public corruption cases. Uh, the ADN article is much more in-depth and detailed on this, but the whole thing is just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, watching it from the outside looking in, you're like, is this uh, is this uh, an attack? Is this, um, you know, is, just, is this just the news media going crazy? Or do you have to take into account that, you know, Dabosky was there and now this is going on and... I mean, it's, I don't know. Suzanne Downing talks about how it's unclear how Willowbank's name was released to the mainstream media and to bloggers, um, which are generally using all forces available to run a campaign against the mayor, but the ombudsman did not name Willowbank's directly in his memo. 
and the information spilled out in some other way, which may also become actionable in court since it's a personnel matter. And uh, she finished up her article saying it appears that Willowbanks may be joining former municipal manager Amy Demboski in a wrongful discharge action against Bronson if it is the only way to restore his reputation. I just don't know. It's like as the, it's like as the like sands through the hourglass. So are the days of our. Wow. I mean, geez, just wow. It's a hot, hot. Hot, hot mess, and who would want to be involved in in any of this right now? I'm, I mean, I'm just glad that I don't. I mean, I have to work there, but I'm just glad that I don't live in Anchorage right now and have to deal with all this stuff uh, for the elected because it's just gotten nasty, just absolutely, almost uncategorically nasty. The Anchorage Assembly, in light of all the allegations that have been passing back and forth, uh, took three. Rare steps on Friday in, a, in an effort to curb the mayor's powers. The city, uh, the assembly approved what Chair Suzanne LaFrance described as extraordinary measures in a special city hall meeting. Though the mayor was not present, several members of his administration were on hand to answer questions. The assembly went into a closed door executive session the night before to discuss sensitive issues underlying the ordinance. But on Friday, there was no such move. The entirety of the meeting was conducted in public. The measures pertain to contracting, which was one of the allegations you'll remember from Demboski, that there were sweetheart deals in the contracting process. Uh, The measure also dealt with the office of the city's ombudsman and filling out appointments to municipal boards and commissions. All of them, according to the assembly, are a direct response to the previous allegations and if approved the measures would only be temporary this is not a change to city code or charter it's simply a um uh it's simply a temporary uh, order to try and hold everything together while there's an investigation and uh so we'll i guess we'll see what what's going to happen but there is uh this is this is not a <laughs> this is not i would this would not be a fun time a fun time is not had by all in all these kind of things. Uh, but we should, uh, you know, you can go and take a look at these uh, articles. They're all re- ready and up and ready to go now. On KTUUADN and mustreadalaska.com. You can go over there and take a look at all that stuff. But, oof, man. And we haven't even started talking about the legislature yet. Uh, the legislature is finally organized and ready to go. We have the committee assignments and more, uh, plus uh, another deal up in Fairbanks, uh, this time uh, over natural gas. I mean, they've been talking about that for, uh, I've been down here for eight years, and they were talking about that before I left. In fact, the uh, the, uh, the 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 entity involved was formed while I was on the borough assembly in Fairbanks, and uh, I still um, am wondering if this is a smart idea or a good deal or not. We'll have a conversation about that uh, on the other side. And then the legislative appointments, and then, uh, oh, even some even some uh, staffing issues. I got, uh, I got a little note here that uh, may make some of us very, very happy. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what's uh, going on with that. So we're going to continue our discussions and uh, move on here, but we got to take a quick break. 
so that's uh, that's where we're going. Uh, but feel free if you want to uh, if you want to hit us this morning with anything. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. We'll open the phone lines up. Special thanks to our friends at Satellite West for helping us uh, each and every day. Satellite West doesn't matter where you are in the state of Alaska, from Chignik to Chugiak, Menchumina to Minto, they can help you stay in contact around the world. Telephone calls, emails, text messages, and even internet access. SatelliteWest.com, proud sponsors of this hour of The Michael Duke Show. Phone lines open 907-433-3150. We'll see what you guys have to say right after this. Back with more. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, we are in the break uh, right now. I desperately need one of you listeners to call the studio phone right now. Um, was having some problems last week, and I think I solved it, but I am not 100% sure quite right right now. So if one of you would be kind enough to call 907-433-3150, we need to test that phone real quick since since we're all in here and you guys are just hanging out. One of you, I mean, more than one of you can call, but I need one of you to call this morning. And uh, so we could test this out to make sure that the phones are actually doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where everything's working, everything's fine, and then one day something just fundamentally breaks and I don't know why. Just arbitrarily, but every, all the settings are the same, and then something just click. It doesn't work anymore. So, uh, if you guys, one of you guys, would be kind enough to do that, I would be greatly appreciative. Um, and I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll do the same myself, just to make sure that everything is. Uh, uh, we'll do that. Okay, we'll try that. Uh, we'll do that again. Nine zero seven four three three. 3150. And we'll see if it can get in there and that's ringing or it's supposed to be ringing. Ah, there's one. Thanks for calling the call in line of the Michael Duke show powered and sponsored. By- so, I mean, they'll, they'll, it's hearing, it's hearing the thing. It's hearing the thing. Put you on hold. Make sure that when you answer, and you give us your name and where I'm, you're calling. I don't want to get Please a feedback. Sure to turn your radio down because you'll be able to hear the show while you're on hold. Muted. Okay. Okay. All right. So I think I think I can hear myself. I think I can hear myself. But uh, let me uh, let me uh, let me kill my own call here, and we'll go over to the uh, to the other caller and see what the other caller says. Um, did I just accidentally kill the other caller? I'm just going to hang up. How about that? Instead of killing the call from the other side, I did. I hung up on the other caller because I'm an idiot. Sorry about that. Uh, all right. Well, we'll wait for another call here just to make sure that everything is up and running. Uh, there used to be little indicator lights to show that uh, that that audio was going out to the callers. And those lights have disappeared. I don't know if it was just an update or what, but I've just been in a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, a panicky situation to make sure everything works 
and we're all good to go. All right. So while we're waiting for another call, how's your weekend? How's how's your weekend? You know, the weekends for me always too short. Always too short. There's always one more thing I wanted to do or one more movie I wanted to watch or one more game I wanted to play or something, you know, one more hour I wanted to spend with my beautiful bride, whatever it is. Um, I just, you know, that's what I want to see. All right. So I see a bunch of people have now joined up in the, it's like a delay all of a sudden. Okay. So I have, uh, a couple callers on hold. So we're going to test them out here real quick. How much time I got? Uh, I got a minute and a half. Let's go over here. Uh, good morning, caller. Can you hear me? Good morning, sir. Okay. Can you you can hear me and I can hear you and you can hear me in the break, right? Or when you're on hold? Correct, but I can also hear myself. You can hear yourself. Maybe I need to fix that. Okay. Well, I will work on that. Thank you uh, for letting me know. I'll see if I can eliminate your own voice going back to you. Thank you for helping me out there. Appreciate it. Let's uh, let's try one more just before we go to break here. We got about 40 seconds. Good morning, caller. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Are you hearing yourself back to yourself? Are you getting an echo? Yes, I am. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, we will do our best to see if we can fix that here in just a minute. So thank you, caller, and thank you. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and kill the other call because we've got 15 seconds here. So thank you, callers, for trying it out and getting it on. If you want to uh, call in this morning, you can do so. I'm going to see if I can fix this. Uh, I'm going to see if I can fix this echo back. I don't know where it's coming from. It's just like it's one thing, it's another. It's one thing, it's another. It is what it is. All right, we're going to continue on. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Freethinking Radio. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to see what's going on here. We're gonna. We're gonna work it. We're gonna work it. We're attempting to. Uh, uh, we're attempting to make sure we don't uh, screw anything up here. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program, and thanks for coming in and joining us. We have got uh, more to talk about here. And, of course, as I said earlier, the phone lines are open. Apparently, there's a bit of an echo on the phone lines if you call in. So just be aware if you do call in, you may want to hold the earpiece away from your ear while you're talking so you don't uh, so you don't mess with your own brain. Um, but it is... Uh, it's it's a yeah it's a maintenance Monday. This is the maintenance month. The folks in the chat room were helping me with the phones to make sure everything was working. Um, in the last segment while we were in the break, so it is the maintenance Monday. But some things you just can't do by yourself, right? I mean, some things you're like, I can't do that. I can't call and talk and listen to myself and do all that. I, sometimes you need another person, so it uh, is very helpful. Thank you to the uh, folks in the chat room. Which reminds me, if you want to uh, participate with us. 
uh, here in the uh, in the show uh, in a different way. You can uh, you can come on out and join us on Facebook or on YouTube or even on Twitch, and we would love to hear any of the any of that. You want to come on board? Feel free to to jump on out, and uh, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. So uh, just give us a give us a thing, like and follow, and and come on board on the chat room. We got about sixty people or so between the two chat rooms, three chat rooms right now. So we're ready to go uh, and uh, ready to get things going on. It's Monday. Yes, it is Monday, which with all its attendant problems and everything else. What should I start with? I guess I could start with this story. Um, it starts up in Fairbanks. And the um, there's an organization in Fairbanks called the Interior Gas Utility. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was not and have not been a fan of that utility. And in fact, I voted against its formation for a variety of reasons, Uh, mostly because um, we had no way to get gas and they were going to become an entity that utilized millions of dollars of uh, funds, uh, grants and things like that to basically... Uh, put, you know, lay gas lines all around the communities and everything else when they had no access to any gas. And really, it, it was it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. I don't even, it was so complex. I don't even remember all the details at this point. I do remember that before we left Fairbanks, that they actually dug up the road in front of my own house and put laid gas lines in in my neighborhood. Um, when we had no, I mean, that was eight years ago, right? We had no, uh, access to gas or anything else that, and, and I would love to have gas. I mean, I'm, I have gas down here. I have natural gas where I'm at down here. And you know, the biggest savings in my family moving down here into the Matsu was the, I mean, the heating bills, right. And the electric, the electricity is cheaper because they're using gas to power their, their power plants. But the heating bills, I mean, when you go from, you know, $800 a month to heat your home to $150 or $200, that's a huge savings. And so I would love for people to have access to gas, but I just thought it was a cart and horse thing, personally. Well, uh, right now, the Interior Gas Utility has signed a new deal with Hillcorp and a couple of its affiliates to buy gas that is going to be trucked in LNG tankers from the North Slope. The the, uh, the, uh, IGU said that the uncertain outlook for gas in the Cook Inlet is what prompted them to find a new solution. Now, they still got a contract with uh you know with this with the with the Cook Inlet folks and got it's another 10 years of that contract but they're looking you know they're looking further ahead um the agreements call for the construction of a small gas liquefaction uh, liquefaction plant near Dead Horse and then uh, they would take that tru- that gas and they would truck it about 500 miles largely along the Dalton Highway which is like this gravel highway these big liquefied natural gas containers being trucked down the gravel road for 500 miles. Oof, I can't even imagine what that would be like. 
Uh, IGU right now distributes nat- uh, natural gas for home and residential heating in Fairbanks and North Pole. They currently only have about 2,000 customers, um, which, uh, you know, any kind of any kind of regular entity that had been in, in existence for eight or nine years and only had 2,000 customers out of the, what is it, I think it's 20,000 households in the interior, 18, 20,000 households. It's just not a, it's just not a, a good thing right now. But they are doing it. You know, one of the main reasons and one of the main pushes, and they even mention it here in the article, is the air quality in Fairbanks. See, that's a big problem. The air quality, because it's an inversion area. It's a, it's a, it has to do with climatic conditions. Basically, it's a cap of air holding all the wood smoke and everything else that's going on in the, in the whole area underneath this cap and it concentrates it and so the epa says they've got a bad air quality problem in there well the problem is is that it's not necessarily fixable by simply eliminating wood stoves or changing out wood stoves i mean they've been trying this for i going on 14 15 years this has been an issue uh and i i mean i know what i'm talking about because i was living in what what some of the borough employees jokingly called the triangle of death in North Pole. It was this area that is in a low-lying, topographically is in this low-lying area that is this triangular-shaped wedge in the North Pole area where all the stuff just kind of falls down and accumulates in there. And uh, we had some of the worst air quality in, you know, in the world or whatever, in the state. Um, But we also had to heat our homes. It was, I mean, there's no joke. At my house, the year before we left, it was 57 below or colder for more than three weeks solid. Sometimes you got to, you know, sometimes you got to burn a little wood or burn a little coal or burn something, puppies and wishes or something, just to keep warm. And, I mean, that's the trade-off right now. Well, the idea was that the interior gas utility would offer an affordable solution to that. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that they end up selling the gas for basically just a fraction under what you would pay for heating oil. And so that is, um, that, that is a problem. That that is a problem, because you have to, you know, you have the conversion costs and everything else. If you're gonna tra- if you're gonna ch- transfer or change your um uh your your furnace or your heating apparatus over from fuel oil to uh, gas, I mean that's an it's an ex- you may need to replace the whole thing. You maybe just need to replace the gun or the feed or whatever. It depends on how the boiler's built. But you know the average conversion cost was something like ten thousand dollars. And so if you were going to spend $10,000 swapping out your furnace and then you were going to pay for uh, gas that was just a fraction less than heat. I mean, the tail off on the return on that investment was long term and huge. And so that's why they continued to have a lot of these problems. Um, Like I said, I was not a huge fan of the idea of the interior gas utility because I had watched what... uh, Fairbanks LNG was the name of the company, and there was some of the brainchilds behind the private company were in part 
the folks that uh, tried to help form uh, IGU, which it eventually did. They did. They did form it. But I'm just wondering if uh, if this is helping or hurting. And I have not been paying attention to it since I left Fairbanks. I've not been watching or following along. This is probably the first time I've seen a, a you know any kind of real mention about it in the last eight years. But it just gets me that when you've got an organization that's been put together for all this time, and they say right at the bottom, the IGU has about 2,000 residential and business customers, but it's extending lines to about 600 new customers a year. Well, extending lines is one thing. Like I said, I've got a natural gas line in front of where my house was in, in North Pole. They put it in before we left. So that had been nine years ago, 10 years ago. They they tore up the thing one summer, right in the right of way, you know, and laid the laid the pipes. But did have they offered it to the folks out there? I don't know. Again, if it's just pennies below the heating oil price, how is that helping anybody? Well, it's for the air quality, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, <sighs> gas is not going to be uh, probably an affordable option for people like in folks like in Fairbanks until we get some kind of gas line down there, until we get some kind of line from the North Slope down through Fairbanks to the rest of it. And uh, it's, I mean, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I feel bad. Like I said, I mean, it's one of the greatest joys for me is to be able to come down here and have a heating bill that is a fraction. I mean, I saved $8,000 in the first five months on utilities alone when I moved down here. 5000 I Let me reverse that. I saved $5,000 in the first eight months. And I say it the other way around the first time, five grand. $5,000 in eight months on utilities alone. That's huge. That is totally huge. And quite honestly, it's one of the reasons that I would never move back to someplace like Fairbanks. I love Fairbanks. I love the people. But it's just, how do you do it? I mean, how, how do you, you know, how, how do you keep doing that when the cost and the Wood police are coming down and you're just trying to heat your home and you love your lifestyle and you, you know, you want to be in the outdoors and you love the interior. But every time you turn somewhere else, it's, you know, I mean, for me, it was just an issue of could I afford to live there after I retired? It's, it's, it's crazy. It is crazy. I wish there were, I wish there were other ways, but I just look at this article, um, about them signing this new deal, which good for them. They're thinking ahead, I guess, because they're still 10 years on the other contract. But I mean, how, how affordable is it going to really be when you have to put it in trucks and drive it down the highway, the gravel highway, in a tractor-trailer truck? I'm just, I'm asking for a friend. I mean, how... How of how there's just not the economy of scale there. And until the natural gas and the heating prices are commensurate with what it is down here in the valley, where it's a you know, it's it's significantly less, you know, like half or more less than what it would cost to heat with heating oil. 
I think you're still going to have that problem with wood smoke and, and everything else in the interior. And I know now that the there was an article, and I don't think we got into it last week, but there was an article talking about how the state is now uh, is in a, a tussle with the EPA over this uh, because they just keep banging. The EPA just keeps banging on the door, and they're threatening federal highway funds is what they're doing, and they've been doing that for years. $30 million in highway funds could be withheld from the interior if Fairbanks doesn't get its air quality together. And, which, again... They've even admitted while I mean, while I was on the assembly, they admitted that they could eliminate all the wood stoves in the interior and we still wouldn't qualify for the clean air because of the inversion problem. I mean, they want to take they don't they don't even want to take that into account. That was Glenn Miller, the who was the head of the wood burning program, the air quality program in the in the borough. I mean, actually asking him, he's like, you could eliminate you know, the, the the wood stoves account for about 10% of the air quality issue. So it's, oh, it's such a hot mess. I'm, I'm just, I feel bad for you folks who are still living in Fairbanks. And at the same time, I feel gratified that I dodged the bullet on that. That, you know, that's kind of where I'm at right now, which is, you know, makes me feel a little bad. But at the same time, I'm just like, I just, I could not see a solution. I could not see a solution to it. But uh, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll pay attention to it and see what, what happens as we go for it. Okay. Um, we're coming up. We got the, the, the break, the break. We got to uh, continue on. Uh, we got more coming up. We're going to go over the committee assignments and some surprise staffing in the legislature. And then Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum is going to be joining us in hour two. So stick around. Don't uh, go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, let me get caught up in the chat room. I'm sorry you guys helped me with the phones in the last one, and we'll be going out of here. Uh, but I appreciate you guys uh, coming on board. Okay. Uh, Kelly says it's a poo parade up there in Fairbanks over this. She said they're still doing it. Yeah, if you build it, they will come. Free wood, no taxes, 30% exchange in Canada, nearest gas groceries. Where am I? Truck gas, truck Mondays, just truck it all. Okay. Um, I still live there, says Jason. Burning puppies? Dang, I know. That's I was just trying to, you know, just trying to get it. Um, the FNSB has an exchange program, and no one is going to steal your fuel. Um, Rita, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Yeah, the FNSB, the North Star Borough, Fairbanks North Star Borough, has been, has had a, a changeout program for years. And it has, it has brought it down a bit, but... 
but no one is going to steal your fuel. I know before I left, there was a huge problem with people stealing fuel. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. Um, it's 10K plus to get hooked to the line down here, says Bill. And star is as bad as HEA. Uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I would imagine that it's, you know, well, and that's 10,000 just to get hooked to the line. Does that include bill? Are you talking about the conversion component, converting your, your previous, you know, blower up to the, to, uh, to natural gas instead of heating oil? I mean, wow. Uh, Representative Kevin McCabe says need a rail spur from Port Mac directly to the rail in Houston. I mean, that would be a good, that would be a good start. If you could put it on a train and use LNG tanker cars, that would be a lot easier. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've driven big trucks. I've driven tractor trailers. I can't imagine wanting to drive a tractor trailer full of LNG down a gravel highway for 500 miles. <laughs> I just can't imagine that that would be fun. You know what I mean? Um, wood is a renewable resource. Yeah. I mean, that was the other thing. I mean, the wood is easy. It's plentiful. If you're willing to do the labor, it was significantly less than, um, than heating with uh, heating oil or gas at that point, just to get the line from the road to the house is $10,000 bill. Ooh. Mm. Ah. Wow. Jim says he can't sell his house without spending thousands to tear out masonry work just to get his wood stove out. Yeah, I mean, th that was the thing. The borough was getting involved in home sales and everything else and all that kind of stuff where you couldn't sell your home if you had an uncertified stove. And then they wanted to come in and inspect it. And if you wouldn't let them come in, then they would look at your chimneys and they'd make all kinds of, you know, I mean, the opacity police would come out and look at the smoke that was coming out of your chimney. And if it was a certain color or a certain thing, and it, they would no idea when it was a time of day. Was it a cold startup? Was it a heart? Start? Had it been running all day? Had it just started 15 minutes ago? I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it, it was crazy. Technically, oil is a renewable resource. Yeah, but is it renewable in your lifetime, Brian? That's the question. I mean, I know trees take years to grow to maturity, but at least they could grow enough where you could see them, right? Uh, do we just say we want a new judge? I mean, we uh, something has to happen. I don't know exactly what, but something has to happen. All right, let's go over to the phone lines. Uh, we've got one line on hold, and uh, I want to get their name and number. Uh, name and number. I want to get their name and where they're calling from uh, before we uh, jump back onto the radio. And inform them of the echo because there's going to be a slight echo caller. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, Mike. Jeff from Homer. Still in Maine, though. Oh, still in Maine. Okay, Jeff. Well, I'm going to put you back on hold and you'll be first. You're going to want to turn your earpiece away from your ear while you're talking because it's got a. I, is, does it still have an echo? Can you still hear yourself? Yeah, I'm on speakerphone. Okay, well, good. Well, just. You'll be first up in the queue here when we get back. Just be aware that uh, you could be hearing your own echo, and I don't want you to. I don't want you to. I don't want your brain to become scrambled. <clears throat> I, I, for darn sure, I have a hard time. I talk for a living, and when I get an echo back that's like a half a second or a full second late, my brain just starts to lock up. So, uh, all right, Jeff, we'll hold the line. It's good to hear from you, my friend, and we'll be talking with you here in just a second. 
Uh, drive a highly explosive gas down Alaskan dirt roads. No seat needed, just a rib broom handle in the driver's cap. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I mean, the pucker factor on that is, uh, I, I just, I think there are so many things that I would rather do than drive a tanker full of LNG down a gravel road. But, you know, great. More trucks, says Gary. This added to the one every seven minutes coming from Toke to Fort Knox. Eventually, there'll be no room for cars. <laughs> I mean, you know, it it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump into this and keep things rolling. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and share. Let's do this. Here we go. All right, let's continue now. One final segment before we get uh, hooked up with Sarah Montalbano from Alaska Policy Forum. Uh, Before we jump back into the rest of my stories, let's go over and talk on the phone. Jeff is calling. Jeff from Homer, although he's in Maine right now. That's okay. We'll we'll allow that. Good morning, Jeff. How are you this morning? Pretty good. I I, I assume you were talking about the... uh... Fairbanks area. Yeah, that's what we were talking about, the Fairbanks and the interior gas utility up in Fairbanks. You are 100% correct. Yeah, I was born in Fairbanks, right on Land Field up there. Yeah, no, I love, uh, I mean, it's, really? yeah, up at Ladd Field, yeah. My grandparents had a, mm-hmm. my gra- my grandparents' house was right next to, to Ladd's Field there. Yep, yep. Well, anyways, um, I uh, every time I hear these stories, I think about what everybody should do is go to Washington D.C. and go and go to, and you can look out and see the White House, and you can see the Monument, Capitol, all that. But around it, you see all these buildings, hundreds and hundreds of buildings. That's the swamp. And that's where Fairbanks is headed to the swamp. Too many people that write these bills and think up these things for everybody else, and we don't need any of them. What we need is just the ones we elected. And that's where all these bills come from overnight. And all of this business that's going on comes from that swamp. And once you learn what the swamp really is, you realize that the people we elected have no control. Well, and and again, here's what kills me is you've got a bunch of folks, and I understand we all want clean air. We all want, you know, we all want what we're going to get, that we want to be able to breathe and live free and do all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is that, you know, we have a, there's a geographic factor or an environmental factor in the fact of that inversion and everything that it just, it's, you're, 
you're not going to be able to get it's just the the air is going to settle down in there no matter what and like i said even the head of the air quality program at the borough said if you eliminate all the if you eliminate all the 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 stoves you're still going to have a massive problem and that's uh, you know that's the thing they can't you got a guy 3000 miles away making regulations for a place that he's never been doesn't understand and the fact that people are you know it's heat or die you know, it's 40 below, 50 below. It's heat or die. And yes, it may make the air poorer, but we've got to survive to be able to breathe the air, you know, kind of thing. So it's a cart and a horse thing. And I, I think people forget that. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, I I personally was about 16 before I realized my name wasn't Get Wood. So we went with a lot. And, uh, it, and it's, uh, you know, here... You would never hear anybody say that because we all burn wood. Right. Well, I guess Maine has had some problems as well. Same kind of air quality problems that we've had here. We're not the only ones that are dealing with that, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And, and this year particularly uh, being here shows that uh, we got lakes that aren't even frozen right now that should have been frozen two months ago. Right. So there's more going on than we know probably. But, uh, it's uh you know what it is 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 just uh peak we're gonna figure it all out but uh hard thing to figure out yeah no absolutely all right jeff well thank you for uh calling in appreciate it it's good to hear from you we uh, hope you get back to uh, homer soon thanks for being part of it today april may i'll be there okay right in there all right thanks uh thanks jeff Appreciate you calling in. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150 is the, uh, is the number to call in. Um, all right. I do have a full list of all the committee assignments. Committee? Committee? The committee. Uh, committee assignments that were laid out last week. So just in case you haven't heard them, we can go through that. But let me start with this because this is a good, this is a piece of good news. Uh, ben Carpenter um, put out a um, put out a newsletter from the uh, from his office here this last week on Saturday, and uh, he uh, he's telling folks what's going on. He says, "I want to inform you of a couple of important changes I've made in my office." Since he's not in the finance committee and he's not part of the annual budget-centric focus, he's going to pursue a broader focus. Um, he's promoting one of his aides to help him with the Ways and Means Committee and doing some other things. But the second thing that he was announcing, I'm so excited about this. The second thing is that he was announcing is that he says, and I quote, I'm pleased to announce that Donna Ardwin has agreed to join our team as a policy advisor to help develop fiscal solution and address other policy issues. Donna really needs no introduction. For those of you who have been closely following state uh, politics since I was first elected, for those who may be unaware, Donna is one of the nation's most successful veterans of state budget management and tax reform and has a sterling reputation for long-term policy planning from a fiscally conservative perspective. I'm excited to see this team perform this session. I am excited to see this team. I know that Donna has, uh, over the last couple of years, has worked with some legislators on certain things, but this is super exciting. 
that she's going to be working directly with Ben Carpenter as a policy advisor. That just, I just get the, I just get the big warm, I just get the big warm fuzzy on that right there. I just want to say that right off the bat. Uh, big warm fuzzy that uh, Donna Ardwin is going to uh, be there and uh, and be part of it. Um, he's also seeking someone to come on board for the session to replace Kendra since Kendra is being moved up um, and they've got an entry-level deal. So if anybody wants to go work for Ben Carpenter, that wouldn't be a bad thing, right? Uh, he's also looking for an aid for the legislative budget and audit committee and uh, it should be it should be good. But anyway, Donna Ardwin. Yay! Uh so excited. So excited to see what that looks what that's going to look like. All right, uh let me give you the full list here of uh, the final ass- assignments and committee positions. I don't think they're changed from what Must Read had uh leaked out there, but we'll go through it real quick and uh give you an idea of who is going to be what when it comes to the legislature as a whole. And we'll talk about some of the more powerful committees as we go through. Of course, Kathy Tilton, Speaker of the House. The majority leader is going to be Dan Sadler from Eagle River. The majority whips will be Josiah Pakatak from Uktavik and George Rauscher from Sutton. The House minority leader is going to be Calvin Schrage. Uh, the Senate president is Gary Stevens. The Senate majority leader is, is Kathy Giesel. And the majority whip is Click Bishop. On to the House, the Rules Committee. Craig Johnson and Kathy Tilton uh, is going to be the chair and the vice chair of the Rules Committee, followed by Jamie Aller, Jesse Sumner, Laddie Shaw, Zach Fields, and Calvin Schrage. That's a pretty strong Rules Committee. I'm just going to throw that out there. That's a pretty strong Rules Committee. The Finance Committee for the House is Delana Johnson. She's leading the charge. Uh, Bryce Edgman and Neil Foster. Now, Edgman and Foster are going to be focusing, specifically Foster is going to be focusing on the capital budget. So that should be an interesting. And the fact that that Bryce Edgman is up in the mix in the finance committee, this was the payment. This was the quid pro quo to get him into the minority or into the majority. I can tell you that for nothing right there. That is the payment for getting him there. Uh, then you get Julie Columbia, Mike Kronk, Will Stapp, and Frank uh, Tomaszewski uh, rounding out the Republican side of the majority side of the House Finance Committee. And then you have Elise Galvin, Sarah Hannon, Andy Josephson, and Dan Ortiz from the Democratic minority. Regional Community Fair, uh, Affairs, uh, C.J. McCormick and Kevin McCabe, chair and co-chair. Um and uh, Tom McKay, Josiah Packatack, Justin Ruffridge, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Himmelshoot, and uh, Donna Mears, all rounding out community and regional affairs. The, <clears throat> the Education Committee. This is interesting uh, because you've got Jamie Allard and Justin Ruffridge on the Education Committee. And I know there's been a lot of talk about how Justin was supported by the unions, the school unions, going into his role, uh, into his run. So I don't know how that's going to affect it, but it should be interesting. Mike Prax and C.J. McCormick and Tom McKay round out the majority side. Rebecca Hemshoot and Andy Story with the minority. Health and Social Services is Mike Prax as the chair. C.J. McCormick and Justin Ruffridge, Dan Sadler, Jesse Sumner round out the Republican side. Zach Fields and Geneva Mina 
on the minority side. House Judiciary is Sarah Vance, Jamie as the chair, Jamie Allard as the vice chair, Ben Carpenter, Craig Johnson, David Eastman, and then Andrew Gray and Cliff Grow as the Democrats. And we got time for one more. Uh, let me go down here. House State Affairs, Transportation. Okay. Uh, uh, House Resources Committee is Tom McKay as the chair, Kevin McCabe, Pat Katak, Rauscher, Sadler, Stanley Wright uh, as the Republicans, Jenny Armstrong, Donna Mears, Maxine Dibbert, the Democrats. This is some pretty strong committee assignments. I'm looking forward to it. All right, we got to uh, gotta go. The Michael Duke Show continues. Sarah Montalbano up next. All right. Oh, baby. We are waiting for uh, Sarah Montavano to join us here in the green room, and we'll get things started. And... Uh, We'll see what goes on from there. Okay. <clears throat> Did you see the recent story by my street about Justin Ruffridge? I have not seen the recent story by your street. I don't know exactly what that means, Hawk. Oh, must read. Oh, I see. It was a, sorry. Uh, I don't know that I did see the recent story from must read about Ruffridge. Maybe I should go back and read it and take a look at what, what are we talking about here? Uh, I don't, uh, you may want to link it to their Hawk because I don't see it in the, I don't see it in the immediate thing there. Not that, I mean, not, <clears throat> I don't see it just popping up. Feel free to link it in the chat room if you want for must read. That's fine. Okay. Let me go back up here. Um, the problem is the federal money, even DOT, MPO, STIP money, that is lost if the air quality is an area is not within their regs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're threatening $30 million in highway funding uh, for the Fairbanks area if Fairbanks doesn't come into line. That's always been the thing. But, again, you can't fight this environmental factor of the inversion. I mean, how are you we, how we, Oh, it's, it's just so painful. Uh, same thing in Salt Lake Valley, says Kim. Michael says the caller is correct about the swamp. Um, save the puppies. Hashtag save the puppies. Burn a what? Um, all right. I love Donna, says Robbie. Yay. Way to go. Does this mean she can't call into the show? I don't know why she wouldn't be able to call into the show. I can't think of a reason why. I mean, if I had hired her, I would not restrict her from being able to call in and voice her opinion. Best news ever. Welcome back, Donna. And I, another way to control people is all if someone is connected to gas or whatever else is something that could be shut off, they decide the thing that shuts off wood heat is the person feeding the wood. No middleman, no politics, just a person and a saw. You're not wrong, Richard. You're not wrong. Making people dependent on stuff like that, while beneficial, is also, uh, you know, the potential is is that you, you'll, you know, you could be cut off at any time. That's the that's the thing. 
Um, the only ones that matter sit on the House and the Senate Finance Committees. With a binding caucus rule in place again, those in the majority have sold out their constituents' voices. Uh, we're going to talk about that with uh, we're going to talk about that with Kathy um, because uh, I want to see what the story is on the binding caucus. Is it for real? Is it for true? Is it for real and for true? For real, true. Uh, we'll see. Um, all right, I'm just looking through, just looking through the uh, final, um, looking through the final comments here, because uh, I see Sarah is hanging out in the green room. Her smiling face is shining out this morning, ready to go. Um, and we are, uh, we're getting close to jumping over there. I probably should shut a few things off here just to make sure since we're not using them we probably should just shut them off because why bother um okay one more thing right there goodbye goodbye thank you all right uh that's all done that's good to go freed up some resources and we are ready to jump over and test our connection with uh sarah montalbano from the uh alaska policy form let's let's do this thing good morning there young lady how are you doing good morning how are you i am finer than frog hair split four ways <laughs> it's pretty fine i've never heard that before <laughs> oh really oh man frog's hair is pretty fine so i'm doing okay i'm doing okay uh we're ready right. to dive into this whole school choice thing right i mean this is the this is the this is the way to do it we got all the details and all the info we need uh and we're Absolutely. ready to get this done okay all right. Well, good. You sound good and uh, got good audio. No feedback. Everybody can hear each other. We're not talking, you know, we're doing not not roboting back and forth. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to put you back in the uh, put you back in the green room and let you uh, hang tight for just a minute because we got to play the theme sure music and everything else. And we'll kick things off with you. Montalbano, right? Montalbano. You got it. So good. I'm so good. It only takes me 53 <laughs> times to get it right. All right. <laughs> Hold on, Sarah. I'll be right back to you. Sarah Montalbano with the Alaska Policy Forum is going to be joining us in just a hot second. I'm ready for the weekend again. It's only Monday, man. What the what the what? What the what? All right. So um, like and share. I haven't told you that today. Like and share. Like and follow. Uh, you should, if you got folks out there that want to talk about education, this is the gal that we need to talk to. Okay. Sarah gave us the truth dump. She slapped us upside the head with the truth fish last week. And, uh, I'm pretty excited about having her on semi-regularly to talk about all these issues because this is going to be the issue folks. Education is going to be the lever that they're going to use to ratchet up the size and scope of state government. Because even in the article today in the paper where they're talking about the legislator starts the budget process facing historically volatile oil prices and they get down and they start talking about education with school districts strained by years of virtually flat funding. I mean, the, the, the lie just keeps getting repeated and repeated and repeated and it just, it hurts us. It hurts us, Precious, so badly. It hurts us. All right, we're going to go. We're going to be back. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
Marty. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. If you like the show, might I suggest that you go over and check out the Common Sense Core. That's the Cool Kids Club. Yep, that's where you help support the show for as little as three bucks a month. You could put coffee in my mug and... You could put shoes on my kids' feet. No, you could put stuff and make the show better. Uh, that's how we did the whole sh- we did the whole studio remodel in December with new equipment and new this and new that and fancier everything, all because of support from listeners. Just I should do it like like PBS, right? Uh, sponsored in part by support from listeners just like you. All you got to do is go out to the Michael Duke Show. Uh, go to MichaelDukeShow.com and click on uh, Join the Core. Join the core or go to patreon.com slash Michael Duke show. It's a great way to help support the show. You get some free swag, you know, if you're on certain levels and some coffee and there's stuff to do. Go check it out. All right. Hour two of the big radio show today. And we are about to chat with uh, one of our favorite new guests. And that is Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. Uh, We were thinking about calling it Montalbano Mondays, but maybe that would just be, I don't know, too much. I do love me some alliteration, though. You know it. You know I do. Uh, So we're going to dive into that today. We're going to be talking about school choice. So let's uh, jump on over right now. She is awaiting us in the green room. Let's let's get started and say good morning, Sarah. How are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about you? You know, it's Monday. I got nothing else to say. That's it. It's Monday. (laughs) The weekend was way too short, and uh, we're back to it. But... The good news is we've got you here to help us uh, digest and uh, pontificate and decipher all the stuff that uh, is coming across our desk related to education. Um, I, I Can I ask you a question before we get started? Because I just mentioned this, uh, again, this latest piece from the ADN talking about the legislators starting facing historically problematic budget, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, this comment down in the middle of the article where it says, school districts strained by years of virtually flat funding. The Senate majority and the House minority have said increasing education funding would be a top priority this legislature. The virtually flat funding, as a researcher and somebody who deals primarily in statistics and facts, does stuff like that just drive you crazy? Yeah, it's a little misrepresentation of oh, disingenuous, the facts, right? Um, I mean, it's not just misrepresentation. Yeah. It's disingenuous. Yeah, I I can definitely understand that. And all of these debates about school funding formulas nationally usually start with something to the effect that school funding's been flat since whatever year, 
Um, and that, that seems to be the template that right. is followed in other states too. Yeah. Um, even, so. even though we talked about it last week, while the BSA has increased only 4% over the last seven or eight years, the overall school funding since, uh, is it 2008, 2006, whatever? 2002. 2002. 35% increase in mm -hmm. overall school spending. Um, yeah. That's not nothing. That's not nothing nope. in 20 years. 35% increase in 20 years is not nothing, and it's not virtually flat. But yeah, and that's after adjusting for inflation. That yeah. is in, incorporating it, that figure. Too. It's a real true number, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I don't want to get bogged down in that because if you want to go whack and watch last Monday's show or listen to last Monday's podcast, Sarah drops the truth bomb on everybody uh, over that. Some good stuff, <laughs> Sarah. But this week, I want to talk about school choice. This is one of my favorite topics. It's something I've been pushing for in the state for a long time. Uh, we homeschooled all five of our kids. All our kids are, well, awesome. the youngest one's 17, so the rest of them are all adults now. And we did pretty good. I mean, we know we didn't end up with any Nobel Prize winners coming out, but they are happy, adjusted. They can read, write, do arithmetic, and they can work in the world, which is, you know, I think a positive in this case. But Alaska, where many people think of as being the you know, the homeschooling Mecca or the great beacon on the hill, so to speak, for many of the school choice type people. Turns out that although there are some bright spots, we ain't doing so hot. Why don't you break us break this down for us here, this new heritage report and a school choice. Oh, and tell us about your webinar before we get started, because there's a webinar on school choice. I want everybody to get in get involved there. Absolutely. I'm very excited because today is the first day of National School Choice Week. I'm decked out in all my school choice stuff. Um, and, and what we're doing today, uh, we're releasing the final uh, portion of the Heritage Education Freedom Report Card about education choice. And then tomorrow we're hosting a webinar with an expert from the Heritage Foundation, Jason Bedrick, who will be talking about school choice in rural areas with us, which is particularly applicable. Uh, so I'm really, really excited. We have some good programming. Watch our social media. Go uh, register on our website. We've got a web post for the webinar. If you want to ask questions, there will be time at the end. So you'll get to actually talk to this expert. I'm very excited about it. This should be some good stuff and good educational uh, uh, for, for people. Anybody who is interested in choice now is the time to start looking into it. All right. Well, Sarah, let's break this down. This Heritage Report, this is the last leg of this, like a three-legged stool, right? We're talking about the, you know, the educational report. This is the last component to drop. And this, in a lot of ways, I think is the most important because it gives people the opportunity that if they don't like what's going on, they can do their own thing, maybe. Give me, give me the rundown here. Absolutely. We talked about spending, regulatory freedom, and transparency last week. This time, uh, Alaska was 48th in educa education choice options. Um, that's the lowest category, although spending comes pretty close. Um, we're only ahead of North Dakota, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. Um, and so Alaska does do really well with homeschooling options um, and things like that, but pretty much other private school uh, private choice options, other uh, education savings accounts. Alaska doesn't have those, so it was ranked poorly on that regard. Um, and then the charter schooling laws and regulations aren't particularly friendly. So, sorry, I pushed the wrong button. Uh, too many buttons on my new thing here. I get I get confused sometimes. Well, let's talk about it. So first and foremost, our overall ranking, and then, uh, you know, we've got, we're 45th overall. 
and then 48th in educational choice options. And this is the difference between the 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 report as a whole and then 48th in this third leg, right? That's the, in yes. the lowest category. That's how it works. Okay. Yep. So still not doing great out of 51, you know, all 50 states in the District of Columbia. Still, mm-hmm. still not doing great at 48th. Um, but you know, we, we do have some bright spots. Uh, let's see, I don't want to jump around here too much, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk a little bit about what I like to call the silver lining of COVID. Uh, the silver lining of COVID was that many people discovered that it wasn't as hard to school your own children as everybody made it out to be. And I think a lot of the, uh, opponents of, homeschooling or school choice were in part connected to the educational system itself. And so all you ever heard was, oh, you couldn't possibly do that. You could, you know, you're not smart enough or you don't think, or you don't have the education. You don't have the, you don't have the training that you need, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And some people were just thrown into the deep end of the pool. And the pandemic showed a lot of us that uh, it's not that hard. It's not that hard out there. Right. I mean, I'm a high school graduate, barely. And I was able to homeschool my kids and uh, with the help of my wife. And we did a pretty darn good job, I think. So wh- what what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I think the pandemic's been a really exciting time for parents. Um, a lot of it because the public school system failed so miserably uh, nationwide. Uh, for the first time, parents were looking over the shoulder at the Zoom classes, and some didn't like what they saw. Others saw that their children were being isolated from other kids. They weren't having the social interactions um, that they needed to. And so it really made clear the importance of being able to customize your education and tailor it to the needs of students and families. Um, and so there were so many exciting, innovative options. I mean, micro schools and pandemic learning pods and all these different small group uh, teaching groups that formed uh, nationwide. And homeschooling in Alaska really exploded. That's one of the statistics I've got pulled up here. It was up 18 percentage points in Alaska as of October 2020, and it's dropped somewhat now. But right. a lot of the people that got a taste uh, didn't want to go back to public schools. Yeah. No, exactly. They were like, wait, whoa, wait a second. This, this is actually easy. (laughs) We had anecdotally, we had people in the chat room who came in and said uh, in the late, in late 2020, uh, after their kids had been homeschooled for a full semester, they were like, my kid is happier. They're working ahead. Mm -hmm. One of them was like, my child's going to graduate almost a year early, like to like three quarters of a year early because they love doing school. They get it all done and then they can go out and do other things. And they get, I mean, it was really, there was a lot of positive. Now, some people just don't have the temperament or whatever. And so they reverted back. Everybody. Yeah, they reverted yeah. back. But the bottom line is, is that the, the opportunity was there. And that's one thing that I am happy that we scored high on, on the report is for homeschooling and that opportunity, we scored really, really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the rating Alaska's homeschooling laws, um, they're extremely friendly to homeschools. You have four options that you can go through, all but one don't require a lot of the reporting and standardized testing and things like that, um, that are one of those good things that parents can actually customize uh, their child's education while, while those regulations are rather low. So right. I, I was very happy to see that. Well, and one of the big things is that in Alaska, again, there is, uh, you know, there's the importance of that regu- that low regulation 
on how people teach their kids, right? Because there's some states where you just can't have a homeschooling. Pro- I mean, because everything is subject to governmental oversight. Everything is subject to the government telling you that you're not good enough to teach your own kids and do all these other kind of stuff. But in Alaska, that's one of the big things that we have going for us is that the regulation on that stuff is very, very low. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the only option for private homeschooling that requires um, the parent to notify the state, seek approval, engage in mandatory testing, filing forms and having teacher qualifications, things like that. That's if you open as a religious private school. So you can teach more than one family, but you have those trade-offs. Every other thing, you are able to do it without most of those activities, if any. Right. Um, One of the things that we scored poorly on, uh, and I hadn't ever really considered until I read your synopsis and your analysis of this report, is the education spending accounts, the savings accounts, education savings account, ESAs, which apparently down in the States is a big deal for some places. Uh, We here, we don't explain this to explain this to us. How does it work and why what's going on here that we don't have it and what and how did it affect our scoring? Sure. So the Heritage Foundation had one category, which was just the presence of education savings accounts. Alaska doesn't have any, so we obviously ranked poorly. Um, Education savings accounts allow parents opting out of public district or charter schools to basically receive a deposit of public funds into a government authorized savings account. Uh, Those uses are restricted, but there are many ways to use it. And it really allows uh, funding to follow the child rather than being dumped into the district or anything like that. So Arizona is particularly successful. They just passed a universal ESA that's eligible for all students. Um, But several other states have ESAs. And just, I think, two days ago, three days ago, something like that, the Utah House passed a a bill that's going to the Senate to establish ESAs. I think Iowa is trying to expand theirs. So this is really gaining steam in the lower 48. Right. Uh, And traction. And this is not this is ESAs or that's money that you save. Um, Is it pre-tax? Is it like an HSA where it's pre-tax money going in there? Uh, being spent for education, or is it state funds? How does that work? It's it's basically state funds where they get to deposit uh, some portion of the per pupil spending that a district would otherwise be keeping or putting into an education, and you get to keep some portion of that. Um, so it actually isn't coming out of the parents' wallets. Um, it is coming from the state, which would have otherwise spent it in a public school. I'm excited to learn more about this. Sarah Montalbano is our guest. Uh, we are up against the break, unfortunately, so we're going to take a we're going to take a quick one, and we're going to be back with more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Don't forget to come check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. Facebook.com/slash Michael Duke Show is the easiest place to go. We'll be back with more, and Sarah Montalbano. Right after this, don't go anywhere. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Sarah Montalbano is our guest here on the program, and uh, we are happy to have her in the middle here. 
Um, sorry, I'm just laughing. Uh, Sarah, just for the for the for the trolls in the chat room um, who want to say, who is this alleged? This is the same guy that was praising you last week as one of the best guests so far in a long time. But give us your give us your background on uh, why should we listen to Sarah Montalbano? What uh, what is your expertise and what are you doing here for the uh, APF? Yeah, I'm the education policy analyst at Alaska Policy Forum. I've been working somewhat part-time for the last four years through my college education. I graduated with a BS in computer science from Montana State University, so I'd like to think I have a head for numbers. Um, and I, I was born and raised in Wasilla. I went through this public school system uh, here in Alaska, and I really do care about it. Well, and I think that that shows up and, and is true. Is uh, is uh, the policy form, are you guys working on a recommendation for this session with, a, I mean, with this whole focus on increasing the BSA as the one thing? Uh, I mean, you know, it's not going to be just the one thing, but in the beginning, it's just the one thing. If we could just get the BSA increase, then we could save everything. Are you guys working on a policy recommendation or a position on that right now? Is this something we should be looking forward to as, as the session progresses? We currently don't have one. I would say in general terms, though, any increases in spending should probably be tied to improvements in outcomes or in more school choice options. Um, so that's that's what I could say. Go to alaskapolicyforum.org, subscribe, you'll be you know alerted when we come out with new pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's see. Yeah. Kevin McCabe in the chat room just said that the Utah House just passed an $8,000 ESA. Yeah, Arizona has an ESA, and it's it's proving to be a real bonus when it comes to education performance metrics. I mean, is this the solution in your mind? I don't really want to cover this while we're off the air. Um, I want to come back to this. I want to come back to this because I think that that's a good good thing for – you know, we keep talking about backpack funding. And we're trying to figure out how do you make that work. Uh, Corey DeAngelis talks a lot about that. But what are the mechanics of it? Because, you know, it's the difference between, like, for example, a voucher system. That's a whole different kind of scenario. And we've really had, because uh, there has been some discussion about vouchers in the state before, but it's always faced a, a tremendous amount of opposition from the brick-and-mortar supporters, the 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 school uh, unions and the t- and the teachers and employees and things like that. So, I mean, they are fundamentally different, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The vouchers, um, and this is under the heading of private school choice and um, the proportion of students in the program ranked by heritage. Um, those are basically things like ESAs. Um, there's also tax credit ESAs where you spend the money and then it's applied as a tax credit on your, your taxes. Um, There's vouchers, tax credit scholarships, a similar idea, and then individual tax credits and deductions. So all of these credit, creditable tax related things are are one instrument of policy that, you know, the IRS can can help implement. But it is um, it is ESAs are kind of the gold standard that you have that money, you take it out of the account and you don't have to wait until the next year to get your money back. Um, right. Things like that. Right. And it gives you the choice and the opportunity to use it as you see fit uh, I, within certain strictures. I'm sure that there is certain sure. strictures. Uh, do they allow it for religious schools and institutions as well? Or is it? I would have to look at the individual states. I think no, um, mostly because they're um, 
there there's generally been been some stigma with using public funds for private institutions um alaska one of the barriers to an esa in alaska is that we still have a Blaine Amendment, a portion in the state constitution that basically says that no money should be paid from public funds to the direct benefit of any religious or other private educational institution. That's one of the weird things about ours is that we say, or other private ins educational institution. So it applies to most of these private things too. Um, so that is one barrier to ESAs that that would have to change um, or, or be found unconstitutional in some way. Sarah Montalbano is our guest. We're getting ready to jump back into it, Sarah. So hold the line here. We're going to be right back. The Michael Duke show continues. Common sense. Whoops. Common sense. Liberty based. Free thing and radio. Here we go. Okay, Sarah Montalbano, our guest. We're continuing our discussions right now. Uh, I wanted to, uh, no, let's just keep going down the list before I jump into this here, because I think the ESA is a huge, huge uh, thing for us. And I think it might be the way where we can bring on uh, the idea of kind of this backpack funding. But let's move on through the list here of things that were evaluated by the Heritage Foundation, uh, including charter schools. Now, I think a lot of us, including myself, are not really familiar with the delineation between homeschools, private schools, charter schools, regular brick and mortar schools. So can you break it down for us and then tell us how we scored? Tell us how it went. But can you break down for us what exactly is a charter school uh, and what what is the function of it in regards to all these other types of schooling? And then how did we do? Sure. Charter schools are public schools, first and foremost. That's a really important thing to remember. They're not like private schools that are getting their own funding. Um, it, it, public Charter schools are funded publicly, but they tend to be exempt from some regulations in exchange for increased accountability. So charter schools usually have to undergo an authorization process in order to open. They are checked up on regularly. I don't know how often in the state of Alaska, but every few years they have to be reauthorized to continue operating. And one of the most important things about it is that if parents don't like the charter school, they stop enrolling and they they move with their feet. Um, so unsuccessful charter schools usually see drops in enrollment before they finally close. Right, right. And uh, overall, charter schools are run, like you said, mostly primarily by private organizations, but each of the school districts does seem to have one or two charter schools in the mix as well, right? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're public schools. So the way charter schools are authorized in Alaska is through the local school board. The local school board has to approve the opening of a charter school uh, in order for it to open in their district. Now, in Alaska, how did we fare in the uh, analysis by heritage of the uh, in charter schools as well? Yeah, it was an interesting thing to read um, because Alaska has 31 charter schools and about 7,000 students enrolled out of 127,000 or so statewide enrollment as of 2022. Um, that is 
really an interesting thing because the laws and the policy and regulatory environment in which charter schools operate can make a huge difference in their success. Um, so Alaska was graded an F on an A to F scale, you know, just letter grades, wow. worst grade. Um, because of that one charter authorizer, a lot of other states have options for, you know, universities or, or um, I'm blanking, there's some independent charter authorizing boards in some states as well. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it, there's other education government entities, right? Uh, nonprofits, other things can authorize charter schools. And what they actually found is that um, a different study local school boards authorize fewer charter schools than other types of authorizers. So when you have that regulatory freedom, it makes it easier to open. And then you've got more options and avenues. If your local school board decides they don't like your charter school, you're not out of luck uh, in order to get authorized. Right. Because in Alaska, the problem is there's only the one charter authorizer, which is the local school boards. And Obviously, that might be threatening to the brick and mortar school structure for those school boards, so they are less likely to authorize it if that's the case. Um, yeah, they're drawing from the same pool of students. Yeah, exactly. It also says that uh, low school autonomy, freedom to innovate, and teacher freedom are some of the reasons why we're getting that F in charter schools because we don't have those things with our charters, right? Yeah, that was part of the report that goes into the F. Um, it wasn't super clear what these metrics were, so I, I would have to um, look and see exactly which laws it's referring to. But a lot of other states have more freedom to innovate and do more innovative curricular things than Alaska's charter schools do. And surprisingly, charter schools aren't funded at the same level as regular schools. Yes. Yeah. One of the real gold standard things for a charter school law is that it gives the exact same number of dollars for, you know, it's it's a public school. It should be treated and funded like a public school. Uh, but a lot of charter school laws say, you know, 80, 90 percent of that funding uh, goes to the charter school. So Alaska is one of those states that does not fund it to the same level. But even with all those problems, Alaska charter schools still had good value added test scores. Tell us how we scored and what does that mean, the value-added test scores? Yeah, Alaska's charter schools were first place in value-added test scores, and that basically means that the average test scores for a given grade and subject, you, you look at that change to the from the prior grade, and that's a value-added test score. So charter schools added a lot of value for the students in those charter schools um it, from, from one year to the next so that was really exciting to see that these students are getting a lot out of charter schools right so charlie goes to regular school in the fourth grade but then he goes to a charter school in the fifth grade and his scores leap up and that is the value Absolutely. added a value added component um yes. let's talk a little bit about uh the open enrollment laws in school districts and things like that how did we you know how did we come out on that it's interesting because I found a few conflicting sources, but the Heritage Foundation uses the Education Commission of the States, uh, which says that Alaska doesn't specify policies for within district open enrollment, which means that parents should be able to send their child to any public school within their district. Uh, doing some outside research for this, I found a Reason Foundation report, uh, which I can find the link and give to you since you're so interested in Reason. Um, it, it, they gave Alaska a zero in its 50 state open enrollment because it doesn't allow between district or within district open enrollment um, and does not transparently report school capacity 
the number of transfers or why transfer applications were rejected. Um, so that's that's some interesting stuff. Generally, I would say we are not very good for open enrollment. Um, not that it is particularly easy to do that when school districts are so large. And that was another metric Heritage looks at. Right. Well, and that's actually our next uh, our next component, although I did have to laugh because the reason article, uh, the reason report states Alaska's current policy permits school districts to charge tuition to the families of transfer students when the student's grade level is offered in their assigned district and the assigned district does not accept the billing, meaning I was in district A and we wanted to transfer to district B and they're like, well, we'll just charge you tuition because that grade level is already offered in your own district and you can't really, I mean, it just seems counterintuitive. We should be able to, uh, like you said, any school in the district should be available for those parents to make, if they're willing to bus or, you know, if they're willing to transport them and do all that stuff, they should be able to go to those different classes. Absolutely. It's ludicrous. And I need to find the law that says that because I read that and I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about school district size. You and I talked about this a little bit last uh, last week because this is really a huge deal. Uh, 127,000 students in the state of Alaska, roughly, and a big chunk of them are contained within like five school districts, four or five school districts has the lion's share of those numbers. And yet we have 53. So we have almost 48 or 49 other school districts that have just a handful of kids. What, how does the Heritage Foundation, do they even look at that? Do they, do they miss the ball here? What, what do they, what do they talk about here? Yeah, I would say Heritage misses the mark on this. They calculate a um, average students per land area. Um, so that's not exactly reasonable. What we see in their numbers are an average school district size of about 11,000 square miles. Um, and that's, you know, that's divided by 54 districts. But when we're looking at the really close geographically dense districts like Anchorage School District or Matsu Borough School District that have a large share of the students, um, that is not exactly an accurate figure. One of the cool things about Alaska is that the 10 largest districts in the United States are located here, and all of them are more than 20,000 square miles. Uh, <laughs> the largest one is the North Slope Borough School District, and it covers 89,000 square miles. Um, so that's that's one of the ways Heritage didn't really capture the uniqueness of Alaska's education system. Um, and and I, I found it really cool to find that statistic. Right. Well, cool and still like, wait a second. Concerning. To, to, yeah, <laughs> top 10 school districts, the largest school districts in the state, but geographically, we're all in Alaska because Alaska is the largest. I mean, we're one third of the continental United States. It would mm -hmm. it make sense that that would happen. The question is, is it the most efficient? And that is, uh, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting. Um, yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about some of the improvements, uh, heritage made their own, uh, comments and I'm sure you have some to add. The biggest thing we were just talking about the ESAs, the education savings accounts at the beginning of the thing, we got talking about it during the break. Um, there is a problem here in the state of Alaska, and this is with what you call the Blaine amendment, uh, concern, uh, explain to us again, what exactly that means. Why are we, you know, why do we struggle to get an ESA in the state? Uh, what's the whole, what's the, what's the holdup here? Sure. ESAs aren't, education savings accounts aren't going to be feasible in Alaska until the Alaska constitution says something different 
Um, Blaine Edmonds were actually shot down in Espinosa v. Montana, which one of your commenters who's up on it noted in the, the chat. Um, and that basically says that this isn't a, a reasonable thing. Um, you, uh, the no aid provision to a state program providing tuition assistance to families who send their children to private schools discriminated against religious schools and the families whose children attend or hope to attend them in violation of the federal constitution's free exercise clause. Um, so that's one thing that the, the Blaine amendments shouldn't be necessarily in, but Alaska says no money shall be paid from public funds for the direct benefit of any religious or other private educational institution. So Alaska's is a little stricter. Um, there will have to be some law change before ESAs are really feasible. And that's one way Heritage also missed the mark on this report is that they that was their first recommendation, pass ESAs. Yeah, except for you can't. That's yeah, the whole point. We can't. <laughs> now this not right now. <laughs> yeah. This moves on to my question about the whole idea of what's being called backpack funding. Uh, because I'm sure. trying to figure how do we make that work? This is Corey DeAngelis's kind of brainchild of make the funding move with the student, period. Wherever the student goes, that funding from the state follows the student. So what's the best way to implement that? Is it with an ESA like we're seeing in Utah now for $8,000 per student? Uh, is it something like that? Or because, uh, you know, vouchers have got kind of the bad name and we fought over that before in the state and it's failed. Or is there some other mechanism? What, what do you think is the best improvement that could come out of this? Yeah, vouchers are one of the feasible ways right now. The other thing I would recommend um, for parents with school-aged children looking to take advantage of Alaska's existing programs, the Corresponded School Program it is a public charter school. You can enroll in that and you can create, you know, a kind of customized education with a little bit of private school classes and public school classes and homeschool classes. And you can actually be reimbursed up to $4,500 for those educational expenses, depending on grade level and some other factors. Um, so that's one thing I would encourage parents to check out right now if they want to customize their child's education as the Correspondent School Allotment Program. Uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest uh, from the Alaska Policy Forum. Uh, I guess, uh, Sarah, here, I got about a minute. Give me just final thoughts on this overall report and what we should take away from all this. I think it's really important for us to look at the examples of other states and see the successes that they've had with school choice, uh, because it's not always easy to be the first mover on these kind of things. Um, but we have examples from ESAs, Arizona especially, but several other states do this. Um, and then trying to look for innovative ways to deliver the education that kids really deserve. Sarah Montalbano, our guest. Uh, we're up against the break, so we're going to continue here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. One final segment with Sarah. We'll get some other thoughts on this. And then I think we're going to talk for just a minute about some of the COVID funding that we've talked about in the past and what has that done for school districts across the state. We're going to be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend.
Okay, Sarah Montalbano is our guest. Um, I saw April said something about um, massive amount of misconstrued information about charters, and I asked her what was wrong, and she says, first of all, charters are fully funded at a higher rate than a large public school. They pay a small administrative fee for administrating their HR in their district. They operate it. Um, Are they receiving – are they higher rate than a large public school, or is this – I mean, is that get how does that work in your in your information, Sarah? What what do you say on that? I'm not familiar with what she's talking about. Um, what I've found in this report is that it is not fully funded, and it might be that they're taking into account the administrative fee uh, being subtracted from the total amount to say, well, it's not fully funded. Um, but I I would have to do more digging about that. Thank you, April. Well, and again, I don't think she's saying. I don't know if April is taking this as some kind of attack on charter schools. Charter sure. schools are a good are a solution. I mean, that's part of your that's part of your solution to how to fix this is more charter schools, right? Yeah, yeah, that's part of it is making that option more available to students and families that want it. One of the other interesting things I'm seeing in the comments here is that um, you. Uh, you know, it's it's improving schools all across the system. And I would agree with that, that public schools shouldn't be left out to dry. But one of the things that school choice really does when it is prolific is it spurs schools to improve sure. that are traditional public schools. Like they can't just sit on their hands and always have a flow of students. Right. They, they have to get better. They have to have Compe- better outcomes. Yeah, competition breeds efficiency. Competition breeds Absolutely. success. I mean, that's you know what? When 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 schools are a monopoly and there are no other choices out there, they don't have to listen to you. They can give you the finger and say, "I oh, we're doing fine. Don't worry about it." But when there are other yeah. choices and and parents would have a the opportunity to pluck their children out of there, and those schools would lose the funding, it spurs them to do the right thing. I mean, we have continually thrown ever expanding amounts of money at the public school system. And yet, look at where we are. Somebody said earlier, said, oh, we've fallen to number three. We need to reclaim that number one position on school spending and the number 50 position at the school achievement level, uh, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in a sarcastic way. But that's that's the bottom line. If we're spending more than almost anybody and are still in the bottom, something is fundamentally broken. And maybe it's the competition that's going to spur the fixes in those areas. That's definitely part of it. And I would really encourage anyone interested in this to come to our webinar tomorrow because we are talking about an example from Arizona, which obviously has this really prolific ESA program and showing that the rural schools there were spurred to improve their academic outcomes improved. And and that's that's just one of those consequences of having more school choice. And then the only other thing I would say for that is that it really is important for the students and families who want to stay in public schools to have a good education there. So that's why Alaska Policy Forum has always championed these kind of early literacy programs and and things like that, that will really improve education outcomes for the students still in public schools. Right, exactly. I mean, yes, the problem is, is that if you do have more choice, then you may end up with some schools that end up closing or consolidating or doing, but overall the system is going to have to do better to compete in the market of ideas. That's what the whole point is. I mean, that's really the the kind of idea of bringing the free market to the, uh, to the educational system, because otherwise, again, we've seen the damage that monopolies have both in the free market on business and in other things, but in education, I mean, that you, when you have no other choice, 
you're stuck. It's either that or you pull your kids out and you figure something out on your own if your state allows it. Luckily, ours does. But it's a it's you know, it's problematic, to say the least. Yeah. Kids need help today and they can't wait for public schools to improve in 10 years. That's that's just how I, th I think about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let me go back through here and see what else uh, some of the comments uh, have out there. Um, yeah, I mean, improving all schools across the system, that's what we need to do. But I think choice is how you do that. I think that's it. And, you know, we've, yeah, we've talked about it. I mean, last week we talked a little bit about the BSA and how a big portion of the BSA focuses strictly on the administrative overhead. It doesn't actually get down into the classroom level. The challenge here is getting the maximum amount of money into the classroom with the least amount of overhead. And it seems like we're doing exactly the opposite in the way that the formulas are built right now and the way that they're funding it right now. It's like we're prioritizing the administrative over the educational component of that. Yeah, and we saw last week, we talked about it with the Reason Foundation spending report 2002 to 2020. Administrative spending rose. And we accidentally lost Sarah there. So she's going to come back to us here, hopefully in a hot second, and we can get the, uh, we can get the information back on there. Look at that. There she is right there. You, yes, sir. Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? You you dropped out. What was that? I said, I got to talk to my ISP because this is ridiculous. <laughs> weeks in a row. We'll see if third week. In a see row, if we can. Yeah. Two. See if we can get it. Uh, hold the hold the line on that thought, though, because I want I do want to come back to that real quick and your comments on it. And then we'll talk about the covid stuff. But we're about to jump back into it. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Here we go. Okay, one final segment here with Sarah Montalbano right. uh, for the day, and we're ready to go. During the break, we were just talking about, you know, funding and choice and how really it may be one of the only solutions. Uh, the other thing we talked about a little bit last week, and we'll kind of reopen that discussion quickly here, is the idea about the BSA. And, of course, the big push is, well, we need to increase the BSA. Unfortunately, the BSA is heavily weighted towards the administrative side, you know, uh, filling out and supporting the administrative side without a lot of that money actually getting down into the classroom. Sarah Vance, Representative Sarah Vance was on the program here a couple of weeks ago, and she talked about the statistics of like something like only 45% of the dollars are actually reaching the classroom at the K through 12 level. And I mean, that's part of the problem, right? We seem to be prioritizing the administrative overhead uh, against the actual educational component in the classroom. that's 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 been part of our problem, Sarah. Absolutely. I was saying before my internet cut out that um, the Reason Foundation report I mentioned last week in regard to spending, uh, you know, total spending went up about 32% after adjusting for inflation from 2002 to 2020. Total support services, which includes administration and things like that, went up 50% per pupil. Um, so that's that's one of the things is that these extra dollars are largely going into administrative expenses. And when they do, they are going into benefits rather than salaries um, is the two main points of that report. Well, and as I said before, 
when the money's not reaching into the and we've seen the two the two charts with enrollment going down and administrative overhead going up as we continue to see that more and more then more and more of the money is going to get consumed by that because the more employees you put on and the benefit increases and everything else not real wage increases but benefit increases it still increases the cost but you don't see the benefit today you don't see it today and then that affects things like teacher retention and other things so i mean there's there's a lot of problems there um we got about eight minutes here and so i just want to cover this briefly um you know during covid of course you know a lot of things happened like we said school choice options kind of exploded people like made things up as they went along uh they discovered it wasn't as hard as they thought it would be to, to school their own children in one form or another whether it was pandemic pods or group learning or homeschooling or whatever. Uh, but uh, the federal government came into the rescue as well with uh, COVID monies. Uh, and yet we still see some school districts still have millions of dollars sitting in the account. They haven't used them or they used them for inappropriately like the ASD. They used them for a one-time as a one-time payment on a, on a long-term uh, cost, which was the uh, teacher salaries and things like that. So talk to me for just a minute here about COVID monies during pan, uh, during the the pandemic and what what the effect has been and where we go from here. Absolutely. This is a big topic and one that I can't cover adequately in eight minutes. So I'm going to give the highlights. Um, Alaska's public school districts were awarded $538 million total from there's there's three grants from the federal government. The CARES Act has been spent already. Um, the Oh gosh, the coronavirus response and relief supplemental assistance bill that needs to be spent by 2023, the end of 2023, September. Um, and the American Rescue Plan goes out till the same date in 2024. So districts are sitting on a large pile of money. They have yet to spend about $295 million total that across all districts. Right. And uh, some of that money has been spent and some of it hasn't. And yet we still hear, and I don't know exactly what the plan is, and I don't know all the details, but we still see a lot of these uh, uh, school districts, again, in the news and things like that, uh, crying and complaining that they just don't have enough funds, we haven't taken care of it, yada, yada, yada. And in some cases, they have money in the bank waiting there to do something with, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is particularly important for the Anchorage School District. I'm waiting to see what they do about this deficit. Um, they were awarded $184 million from the three of these acts, about $4,200 per pupil. Um, they've spent a large proportion of this on certificated salaries, which means, you know, professionals with a certificate, teachers and the like, um, and about 20% for employee benefits and 11% for supplies and materials and stuff like that. Um, they they need to be careful about spending one-time federal funds on expenditures that are presumably long-term. I'm sure some of these teachers and salaries are temporary, but a lot of them were hired with the expectation that they will continue to be a part of the district and there's not going to be mass layoffs. Um, so that's, that's one of the things districts need to think carefully about is what kind of expenses am I incurring that are long-term that I'm going to have real problems when the federal money runs out and they expire in 2024. Right. Um, so that that's one of the big things. Well, and again, that was the, just the example of the Anchorage School District utilizing right. a big chunk of those funds, basically offsetting other costs by taking it and using it to pay teacher salaries for one year, salaries and benefits yeah. for one year. And then all of a sudden, oh, we got a crisis. Now we're $60 million in the hole. Well, because you – 
avoided that by using one-time funds in the short term to show that your deficit wasn't as bad and now you're stuck back to it it's i mean it's ineptitude it's it's mismanagement at that point of of the monies um and i'm always reminded of the old saying you know piss poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part kind of thing and but right. that's but that's what they're doing and now they have the now they have the war drum to beat on that they just don't have any money, but it's because the money that was given to them by both the state, the property taxpayers, and the federal government has not been spent wisely. Yeah, I, I would agree with almost the whole of that. It, they've got $117 million remaining of their COVID federal funding award. Um, there are obviously stipulations on that. Some of it needed to be used for COVID mitigation for the CARES Act and things like that. But I, I find it hard to believe that they really can't use some of this to uh, work on the whole. And then it, it was just not a wise decision to spend all of this on recurring costs when this is a one-time federal award. I mean, that's, that's just my position on it. Yeah, no. And I, and I think again, it's, it's, uh, it's eating the seed corn from the whole planting and reaping thing. It's that from that whole analogy, it's the eating of the seed corn. When you eat the seed corn, yeah. what are you going to do? Uh, you know you're not going to get it next year, and uh, you use it anyway, and it's a very, very frustrating thing. Uh, maybe we should have uh, in a couple weeks or something. We should have some. Uh, we should have a visit with you where we can take the whole segment or the whole hour and sure. discuss the COVID monies because I think that it is. Uh, it's it's a big problem. All right, let's uh, let's let's finish things up here uh, in the last three minutes. Your final thoughts. And uh, recommendations, overall a recap of the of the report from the National School Choice Week, uh, and you know what we can do to improve it, and then another final pitch for your webinar. Go. Yeah, um, what's really important, Alaska, we have great homeschooling laws. Uh, we need to improve our charter school laws by allowing multiple authorizers. I think that's that's a solution that would be a good thing uh, to make it easier to open. Um, school choice of various kinds should be improved and um, you know created in Alaska because they will help rural school districts improve they will help urban school districts improve that competition is a good thing um, as far as spending goes um, our spending is so high and we're really not seeing good outcomes for it so uh, increases in spending ought to be tied to uh, improvements in outcomes or more uh, school choice options like that and then, you know, school districts are sitting on vast amounts of federal money that they can use to actually help mitigate the learning loss and the decline in student outcomes that we saw over the pandemic. Uh, Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum uh, has been our guest. Um, Sarah, you guys are doing a big webinar. Tell us what it's about. Tell us what's covered and uh, where we need to go to find it. Yeah, we will be talking to Jason Bedrick of the Heritage Foundation tomorrow at noon Alaska time. Uh, we will be uh, discussing how school choice can help rural school districts. Um, and he's written a really excellent report, rural, Rustic, Ren Rustic Renaissance, um, that discusses a lot of different points, but case studies on Arizona with their expansive ESA program, how um, the public schools were improved by increased use of school choice. Um, you can find the registration link by going to alaskapolicyforum.org. Uh, it's one of our first po posts on our banner. Uh, just click that webinar. You'll be able to go to the Zoom registration link. And if you register, you'll be able to ask questions of Jason and I uh, in the, the program. 
which I think will, I mean, that would be a huge benefit. No cost or anything, right? Just to show up nope. and get the information. Totally free. Uh, you yeah. Can, yeah. And of course, Sarah, if you go to alaskapolicyforum.org, Sarah has got, uh, well, if you click the education section, it's pretty much all Sarah. I mean, if everything you read in there <laughs> is all Sarah all the time, she's got a lot of great information. Some very eye-opening statistics. I mean, I read some of the stuff in there. And I was shocked right down to my socks, and I've been following this for a long time. But again, some of the hard numbers and the statistics and, the and you know, because the, the numbers are right there. And when you look at them, you look at the newspaper, then you look at the actual numbers, and you're like, something here is not adding up. So get yourself a, a dose of truth on that. That will be an interesting. Uh, Sarah, do you have an email that people can reach at? Yeah, if you have any comments or questions for me, Sarah at AlaskaPolicyForum.org is where you can reach me. Uh, you're also welcome to go find me on Twitter, uh, Sarah Montalban O with a zero for that O. Okay. All right, Sarah Montalbano, thank you so much for coming on board. It was a pleasure thank to you. talk with you again. Love having you on. Folks, we're out of time for tomorrow. Weekly top three coming up tomorrow with Brad Keithley. All right, Sarah, I'll give you the final bite. Why not? Final bite at the apple. I know you love that. Um, Thank you. Anything else you yeah, want to say or cool. anybody, any comments you read in the chat room that you want to respond to or anything else? I'd love oh, to man. hear. We've had a lively discussion oh, in yeah. the chat here. Uh, I'm very interested to see what comes out of that now that they have my email address. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, the only thing I would, I would say in addition is that this education choice piece, please, um, read the the report um it'll be published shortly after the show um so you you all got a sneak peek yeah i love it i love getting the i love getting the information a little early um and i really i really hope that we can have a fruitful discussion this year i i hope it's not just ramrodding the bsa increase through you know which seems to be the track that we were on luckily the house is uh the organization of the house is taking kind of a different turn so maybe we'll be able to have some fruitful discussions on all of this stuff in total so. instead of just yeah. throwing money at it, right? Just throwing money at it is not work. And so throwing money at it never works. Yeah. And never. so we, we've got to have some other conversations. I hope somebody's willing to admit that what we have right now is fundamentally broken and we need to address so. it. So, yeah. Well, Appreciate Sarah, uh, we'll check back in maybe a couple weeks or so. If there's something else, sure. maybe you and I will talk off air just to kind of figure out what else. I would love to have this conversation. I mean, we need to have this conversation, I think, almost every week while the session is going on so that people <laughs> can understand the actual statistics and the numbers and the discussions. And this will yeah. be good for you because it's going to force you to ask questions like you didn't know before on certain things. You're going to have to go do some more digging. So you're gonna oh, yeah. you're gonna go back and say, and yeah, I got I got more homework before I come back to the show next week. You know, that's <laughs> what we're here for. We're here to make yeah. it easy for you. All right, yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, it's great to talk with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, thanks for being for being for being with us today. All right, folks, we are well. We're out of time for today. We got uh, more uh, coming up tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story is going to be with us. And we'll do the weekly top three and all the other stuff. And then Wednesday, maybe we'll hear from Mike Shower. We'll see what's going on over there. We will keep you uh, in the loop on that uh, to know whether he's going to be with us or not. Uh, and uh, Kathy Tilton. Kathy Tilton's going to be with us this week as well. We will continue. 
tomorrow. Don't forget to like and share. Don't forget to go out and join the Common Sense Corps if you haven't uh, done so already to help support the show. Appreciate you guys being part of it. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Have a great day. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show